Welcome to TG2Cast. I'm your host, Aaron Blackwelder. Today I have the privilege to talk with Joy Kerr, author of the book, Shift This, How to Implement Gradual Changes for Massive Impact in Your Classroom. In this interview, we will be discussing her book. Joy is a nationally board certified teacher who currently teaches seventh grade. But prior to that, she taught deaf and hard of hearing students. She was a reading specialist, department head, and yearbook advisor. She loves to head outside, take photographs, read and write, and she aspires to be as kind and giving as her husband. All right, Joy, thank you for joining us here. How are you doing today? I'm excellent, Erin. How are you? Doing wonderful. So why don't you go ahead and tell us about your book? All right. It's about all the changes that I've personally made and some I haven't yet made since offering time in class for students to learn what they want to learn. A lot of teachers get scared by big changes like Genius Hour was for me. So Shift This is is about how they can make it work for them by asking themselves key questions that will help them tweak what they're doing. So it's not so big of a shift and they can tweak what they're doing with students now so they have more of a culture of learning in their classes. That's awesome. Um, I know I've used your book and um, we're using it currently in my school for a uh, department wide um, um, book study uh, and we're really enjoying it. Um, so what, uh, what inspired you to write this book? Well, a different publisher contacted me asking me to send them an outline of a book about Genius Hour. And I declined because that's been done already. You know, a lot of educators that I respect and would want to learn from, they've already written it and I wouldn't be able to do it justice. So then she said, well, what would you write about? So it took me a while because I always thought I don't need to write anything. Everybody has always written everything. They've already written it, so I don't need anything. So I came back with, well, all the effects that trying Genius Hour has had on me and my students. So then they ended up saying, no, thanks. It's not for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I had already told my students about the emails, however. So they said, Mrs. Kerr, Mrs. Kerr, you're always telling us to write about what we love. So I wrote little by little, not ever thinking it would be published. And then a year and a half later, it was. Awesome. Awesome. And how has the reception been on your book? Um, my husband and I, were still waiting for the other shoe to drop. So, <laughs> so far, so good. It's amazing. And it's a bit sad because I receive many direct messages from teachers who feel that they're alone. And the book has helped them see that they should not be alone and that they should be doing this with other people. And they've been able to share the book with peers, and that's made a huge difference. So that's nice. And I've had superintendents and principals saying that they're sharing the book with their district or their school. So that's it's humbled me. And it's made me so very happy that others will be shifting their classrooms as well. Awesome. And I know you have your, um, your Twitter chat, the shift this chat. Um, how's that been going? Whew, it's got a lot of people moderating, which is awesome because then they bring different tilts to it. You know, we're all better together. Mm-hmm. And if the more we share, the better we get. So that's been nice that they've taken over since the book studies in the summer have been, have been done. They've taken over. And if we stop getting a lot of people to moderate for us, we'll just take a break. You know, we don't need to have it every Tuesday. So yeah. I'm not that committed to it. You know, I, I did it because that's what people seem to do. But if we need a rejuvenation or a break, then we're just going to take it. But it's been going really well. Mm, cool. So you're actually having other people moderate for you then? Yes. Okay. Yeah, because I can only ask so many questions. Yeah. You know, they all come from different viewpoints and different problems that they have. So it's great. We're getting a lot of different voices. Mm, wonderful. Um, okay, so the book focuses around student-centered class. Um, what inspired you to be more student-centered? 
well, I wanted the kids to learn more. So I wanted them to be more motivated and more engaged. And then ultimately doing these student-centered plans or making little tweaks has made them more empowered too. And once you see that, you can't go back. It's yeah. like, oh my gosh, I can't be the teacher I was before. Yeah. 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 I've seen that in my own pedagogy as well, that um, the more I give control to the kids, the harder it is to want to even take that back. Right. Right. Uh, chapter four, uh, you discussed the importance of creating class culture. This is actually one of my favorite chapters. Um, well, yeah, I did. I absolutely loved it. And um, I'll, I'll tell you about some of the things that I've done in my class inspired that. But what are some of your favorite shifts in it? Um, I love hearing about people's favorite chapters, but no, I love, I love that darn question of the day. You know, it's easy. My seventh graders love it and I can get some good information from students regarding what's happening in their lives. I also love the reflection at the end of the Mm -hmm. week. Um, I know Paul Solars does his every day, but we only have every week. So we have a simple plus Delta T chart where students share what went well during the past week on the plus side and then what needs to be changed on the Delta side. I take a photo of the chart and I share it again the following Monday because we usually do this Mm -hmm. on Fridays and each class has different goals for themselves. And it's during these reflections when we work on classroom management or other issues that they deem important. And we talk about the reasons why we're doing certain things in class and then we can focus on the ways to get things done even better. Very cool. What were yours that you, that you changed? My favorite is, um, and my kids love this too, is the, um, class playlist. Um, yeah, oh, I've, yeah, I uh, created a Google form and just said, hey, guys, you have any songs that you want to listen to? We're going to create a class playlist. And um, I teach freshmen and I teach juniors this year. And I had to create two separate ones for freshmen and juniors right. because the juniors were not into yep. listening to any SpongeBob music, whereas the freshmen <laughs> were all about it. So, <laughs> Right. We have one for each class. Oh, you do? Yeah, because they all want to listen to different things. Yeah. Yeah, I just created one for freshmen and the one for juniors, and awesome. uh, they keep adding to it all the time, and it's been fun. Do you so. do you learn more music? Because I don't really know what the seventh graders are listening to, so I learn a lot. Yeah, I do. I end up learning a lot of music from uh, my kids. Some of yeah. it I can't stand, others I love. Um, and right. what impresses me is when they actually request songs that are from my generation. Right, right. I'm 47 had, years old. Yeah, we had someone the other day ask for Danger Zone. I'm like, yeah. oh, a little top gun. Okay, <laughs> we can do this. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's been one of my favorite shifts. And then also I, I too, have been using the weekly reflections, and mm-hmm. um, those have been really helpful in my class as well. Good, so good. Yay. All right, so Chapter 7 centers around grading, um, that, that big elephant in the room. Um, yeah. What is your philosophy on grades, and how do you report learning to stakeholders? Well, chapter seven is one of my favorites, chapter seven and 10, because I can't stand grades. Like they just sicken me right now. Yeah. Um, I can't stand marks. I can't stand like check marks, negatives, pluses, none of it. And the stress it creates in our lives and our students' lives, it can be so overwhelming. I'd much rather talk about learning and moving forward with next steps than a letter mm-hmm. or a number. Um, right before I presented at Matt Miller's Ditch Conference in Indiana, I realized that I started off teaching without grades. My first seven years teaching children who are deaf and hard of hearing, I only used their goals, their IEP goals. Mm-hmm. You know, we worked on the goals that we set for their IEPs, and when they achieved their goals, we set new ones. 
you know, yeah. <laughs> no greater mark was ever attached. We still did the work. It wasn't like they were complaining because of the work. I then worked for seven years as a reading specialist and I did the same thing just without the IEPs. And so because I work in a system right now that still requires grades, I have a conference with students at the end of each quarter and we look at the evidence of learning and then we decide together what the final letter should be. It's still an arbitrary letter. It still doesn't represent right. what they know, but we do send home the conversations that we've had. So that's good. Um, and the, throughout the year, I add myriad na narrative comments in the online grade books so parents and students can keep tabs as to how they're progressing. Now, how have parents received um, your comments over a letter grade? Is there any, have you had any uh, pushback with that? Or, um, you know, where have parents been with that? Well, there's always some pushback. Yeah. So you've got, you know, it's different for them and it's not what they grew up with. And what do you mean, you know, there's no grade in the grade book right now. Um, and with all this online grading and parents can see it at a glance, it's, it's nerve wracking to them to not see that one. Mm -hmm. You know, so but I do have a lot of supporters. They just get lost in the shuffle when you get one negative parent who's really upset and who believes that grades do determine their future. Mm -hmm. You know, so that sticks with you and and you reevaluate what you're doing. Why am I doing this again? And is it right for the students? And I still believe it is. So I'm going to keep advertising the reasons why. Um, but, you know, most of the parent feedback is, hey, my child's learning <laughs> my child's learning more maybe than they learned last year. My child is working hard. My child is always talking about ELA. So that's nice, you know, yeah. and when we focus on the learning and I do, I do try and keep everything in that grade book, like all the narrative comments, but it looks like a mess. You know, it, it's not an easy letter for them to interpret. So when a parent does balk, you know, I can switch it up for that child. And if a child balks, I can switch it up for that one. But I've got only one this year that I'm actually putting in a grade for, but it's not, it's not an, an average grade still. It's still in the narrative comments, but I'm putting what their grade would be for those things right now so that the parents feel better about it. And we'll still decide together, you know, the child and I, but the parents feel a little better about that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm sure at the middle school level, you'll still have some parents that are ultra concerned with grades, but at the high school level, you know, grades uh, become a bigger issue for families because it's cheaper car insurance. It's, um, right. you know, it's academic eligibility. It, it is, it, it can tend to be college acceptance, or at least that's what many parents yeah. believe. So yeah, I, we get some pushback here as well. Um, but mostly, um, you know, I get the, uh, I, I haven't had a parent really get frustrated with me yet either. They, they've all been pretty accepting and they actually prefer it too. Knock on yeah. wood. Knock on wood. Yeah. We're going to keep that. Um, yeah. So, um, in, you, you do a lot of fee, uh, narrative feedback. Um, and so what might you put into the grade book for your narrative feedback? Like how, how would that look? Oh, man, I put in conversations I have with, with students about their books. I put in conversations I have with them about their writing. I put in, you know, when I give feedback on their writing, I have a link to a YouTube. It's unlisted, so only they and I can see it. But it's it's a link to the video feedback that I give for their writing, which should be five minutes or okay. less. I try and make it that way. Um, for our comprehension checks, I just put it in as narrative. So I say 
two out of two literal questions and one out of two inferential questions correct this year, this week, next step, try this, you know, and I make it pretty particular for the question or what it was, you know, if it's true, false or multiple choice or whatnot, you know, we still have to do some comprehension checks, but they know at the end of the quarter, but I'm going to take their final four or whatever. If they've improved, then we forget the other ones, you know, because they've learned how to do it and they've learned the skill. So it's, it's all written out, but those are the numbers. I do put some numbers in there, <laughs> but it doesn't ever average yeah. out, you know, because it's not, average is so inaccurate. Yeah, averages, they don't tell us, they don't tell an accurate narrative, and that's not what we want. No. Um, so, um, Joy, this is a topic that I'm really, really curious based on some of our direct messaging um, with Genius Hour. Um, I'm just going to let you take over it. What's going on with Genius Hour with you? Okay, ready? <laughs> We currently don't have Genius Hour in our ELA classes. And before anyone gets bent out of shape about that statement, I'll take time to explain. Um, You can still consider me a Genius Hour evangelist, as I truly believe that what I've done in the past four years has helped me get where I am this year, even if we're not implementing it yet. And I'll keep the yet on there because I'm still not sure about this. Um, This year we're trying yet another pilot because our district likes to try new curriculum and see what's working. Um, it should be ending in December. And after that, I need to check with my cohorts again. My closest partner in ELA is new to seventh grade. She's never done genius hour before. And I had a time when I felt like a hypocrite this year, but I also know what genius hour has done for me and my students. So right now we have so much more autonomy. Mm. We have choice in what we read. We have choice in what we write. We have choice in how we share our books with the class and choice in how we publish our writing. And so it's still very motivating, engaging, And it can be empowering once they find something that they really want to research and share. And that, you know, with seventh graders, they really don't know all the time what they're passionate about or what they want to know. So Genius Hour was always a struggle for that anyway, because they haven't been asked that question (laughs) very often. Like, what do you want to learn? So the more we get to know them, the more we do our quick writes, the more we read different books and share what we're doing, the closer I get to what they think they might want to learn. And I know last year in quarter four, we had a couple kids do a quote unquote genius hour project without calling it that, you know, they did their own research and they shared what they learned with the class. And that's really what it is. It's like, what do you want to know? And what do you want to share? And how do you want to share it? And what do you want to do? And so I'm not feeling that hypocritical anymore because I do feel like we've got it now. And genius hour was a start, but it's affected everything else I'm doing. And I guess that's why the book came because it, it really has shifted everything I'm doing now. And the students have so much more voice and choice. So the beginning of the year, you know, you feel them out, you find out their strengths and struggles through their own reading choices and their ideas and their writing. And it's building that foundation for what they could choose to do towards the end of the year. And we'll get to it by the end of the year, but it most likely won't be called genius hour. It might be called independent inquiry or research or documenting or writing or sharing. And I'm so lucky to be in ELA because that's the perfect venue for this type of personalized learning. ELA and science and any the humanities, I guess, would be really be perfect. Yeah, for this type I of um, started last year doing. Um, I I didn't do a genius hour because that's generally one hour a week in theory. Um, but I just created passion right. projects, and kids would work on them periodically when they finished their assignments or whatever. And then towards the end of the year, we had about three weeks left, and that was their time to 
focus on their passion projects. And that's what we called them was project projects, or you can call it an mm-hmm. inquiry project, like you called that. But yeah, um, it's good to hear. And it sounds mm-hmm. more like instead of being genius hour now, it's just, that's kind of embedded in everything that you're doing now. Yeah. Yeah. It's just learning. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what do you want to learn? Yeah. And that's, I think that's, like, I think that was my goal. Once I started, I'm like, wow, we should do this yeah. all the time, you know? <laughs> so like, yeah, I'm still, I'm still giving my mini lessons. I'm still teaching the reading strategies and writing strategies, but then they get right. to do it with how they want, you know? I'm excited about that. And we're going to start with speaking soon too, in either December or January. So that'll be good too, to put that into it. Um, so what, what happens, how do you deal with um, students that struggle in choosing a um, project or an idea? Oh, there are so many, too. There's usually a handful every year. Um, so there are students who struggle because they've never been asked the question. So then yeah. you, just keep, you just keep working at them week after week. There are students who struggle because they don't believe this is how they should be taught. I had a student tell me that once. He wrote a paragraph about it, and I'm like, wow. You know, and he said, he said I believe you should be teaching me. You're the teacher. So it was, that, he was a hard nut to crack, and he ended up writing about how Genius Hour doesn't work for him. Hmm. And so I'm like, okay, I hope you don't live with your mom the rest of your life. So <laughs> I didn't tell him that, but I'm like, wow, this is one of those kids that just wants people to do things for him or tell him what to do. And that's hard because I know we have some adults like that. And so there will be kids who don't know what they want to do, but sometimes just thinking about it is progress enough for them because they've never been asked this question before. There is a link on the um, live binder that's for students who struggle. And there are lots of different things there that teachers can go to for trying to get that one or two kids, you know, invited into the learning, invited into, Hey, this is you, you know, setting your own limits. This is you figuring out what you want to do. Um, but then there's, I saw one on here the other day. I'm looking for it now, actually from, I think it was from Sam Sherratt. He's out in Vietnam and he's like, it's okay for them to not know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's okay because you're still giving them this opportunity to try it. Yeah. And so sometimes students will spend the, the hour or whatever time you give them just looking for things. And I think that's okay because it gets them more exposed to what's going on in the world anyway and what other people are doing. And you yeah. could always have them like record what other kids are doing and present that or share yeah. that out somehow, have them be the, the publicist for your class, you know, and then they'll see, wow, these people have their own ideas, and this is what they're doing, and that might inspire them too. Hmm. That's that's an interesting. I had never even thought about that. Having students document what other students are doing and making that their project—that's a really good yeah. idea. Yeah. Um, do you ever um, consider giving out a menu of ideas? Oh yeah, okay. you can totally scaffold. Yeah, there's lots of scaffolding you can do, um, but the ones I found that are resistant just they don't want any of your help yeah you know (laughs) they just want you to walk away and go help some other kid and some of them some of the resistant kids and i hate to say this but they're the ones that just want to play video games and i've been trying to get them to then play video games for you know play it and document it how these people who make money doing that do yeah you know there are people who have made it a career of playing games and documenting it on youtube and so they don't do that in class. You know, well, I can do that at home. Okay, well, then what are you going to do in class? Yeah. You know, and that's, that's the struggle, too. 
Um, So how have your shifts been received by colleagues, students, parents? Have you encountered pushback? Um, How do you handle the adversity when you have that? Well, I'll start with the students. Um, Many of them are a bit skeptical of the shifts at the start of the year, but by the end of second quarter, they seem to embrace them. You know, much better. Change is difficult, mm-hmm. especially if it's not your idea, right? So I spend a lot of time at the start of the year explaining to students why we're doing certain things. And when you know the reasons why the change is here, it's easier to accept. You know, as for parents, if they take the time to read what I send home or watch the videos I send home, they're supportive of the shifts our children are being exposed to because they're hearing the why. They, they see the reasons. They see the research. Um, if not then they can get irate, especially when it comes to not seeing the grades right. in the online grade book. And it's sad because it, and I think this is human nature and I'm trying to get over it, but it takes me about 10 positive emails from parents to counteract mm, one negative, yeah. you know, and what hurts is that when I ask for feedback and questions or concerns throughout the quarter and then bam, a parent hits me in the gut saying that they don't know what's going on after the final grade is right. shared, you know, I'm blind. I don't know what's going on. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Do I have the right email? Have I been sending you stuff all quarter? You know, um, that's, that's just hard to take, but I, I still stick with, I still reflect back and say, okay, is what I'm doing right? Yes, I believe it is. And it's, and I'm comfortable with it and the students are comfortable with it and we're learning. So we're going to keep going. Um, as for colleagues, I don't know if they even know many of the things (laughs) I'm trying and, you know, and I frankly haven't taken the time to explain Mm. it to them. Cause I'm focused on the students and our work in the classroom and no one's asking me, Oh, what are you trying? You know, we don't have that. We don't take the time to do that in school. Like we should. Um, I did have one teacher say, sure. I wish I could go without grades. It'd be so <laughs> much easier. And Oh my gosh. Right. And I laughed and I cringed and then I sat with her and explained how it's actually much, much yeah. more difficult <laughs> than plugging in a number, you know? And then she asked, well, then why are you doing it? And I could answer because I believe all students are actually learning more in class, you know, and yes, it's tougher on me, but I still believe it's right and good for the students. I need to take more time to explain to colleagues, but they haven't asked. And so I haven't gotten like ridiculed or anything. I mean, it's not like our classes look totally different and it's not like they right. come in and see it. You know, I mean, I don't know what the person across the hall is doing either because I don't take the time to go in. So it's colleagues is not a, it's really a non-issue unless they hear one thing and then they talk about it behind my back. Cause I have heard that, you know, I have heard someone say, Oh yeah. And Joy's glass, all they do is play, which is totally right. wrong. You know, <laughs> like, like, no, we're learning more than we have before. So, so that, that kind of gets to me, but you know, they don't know, they don't know what's going on and I don't know what's yeah. going on in their room either. So it's, I'm, I'm better with the colleague dissension than the parent dissension. You know, I feel like I have how many bosses, you know, all my kids' parents are my bosses and that's hard to deal with, but I'll just keep sharing the why and hopefully more people will read the book and hopefully more people will do different things and it won't be so crazy. Now, last question. Um, This one I'm really curious about. What are some shifts you've adopted (laughs) since you published your book? You had such great shifts in your class or in your book um, that I I know I've connected with almost every single one of them. But what are some new shifts that you found? So I saw this question. You sent it to me. I'm like, what? I don't even know. So I asked my husband and, and we worked it out. I am, I am still working on putting my health and my family first. Nice. You know, I mean, I am 
really throwing so much into this no grades and feedback only that it really takes a lot out of you. So I've been, and I've been bombarded with requests for like podcast interviews like this, speaking engagements, joining book studies, which I absolutely love the book studies and answering all kinds of questions through Twitter and Facebook and email. And it can get really overwhelming. So especially once school started, like in the summer, it was overwhelming and I had all that time. So then when school started, I've had to learn to limit my time on Twitter and find times that really work for me for podcasts and such and join in book studies when it's convenient. And only after I've made time for my family and after I've gotten my schoolwork finished. So home, then school, then the quote unquote extracurricular shift this activities. You know, I mean, I didn't write the book to do all this stuff. I didn't, I just wrote it for me. And then it turned to be like so much more than I thought I could handle. So now I'm learning how to handle it. So that's my next shift is health and family first, then school, then shift this. Well, I want to get you back to your family and get you back to your own personal (laughs) health. And I uh, appreciate you spending the time with me. And um, yeah, thank you so much for hanging out with me today, Joy. Oh, it was my pleasure, Aaron. Thank you. I love talking about this stuff any day. (laughs) All right. Take Take care, care. Joy. And that concludes this episode of TG2Cast. If you'd like more information, check us out on our website at teachersgoinggradeless.com or our Facebook group. You can also follow us on Twitter at TG2Chat. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to make sure that you get future installments. Thanks for listening.